The following message was given by Raymond Goodlett on Sunday, January 21st at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Go ahead, if you would, everybody, and open your Bibles up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. My name is Raymond, for those who don't know me. I'm one of the pastors here. I was the guy in that picture waiting for other people to show up. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. We're, we're taking one week, one Sunday each, each week this month to go through four of the different ways that, that our hearts respond to God as he reveals himself to us through his word. And so we're, we're looking at adoration, confession, we saw last week. Today we'll be looking at thanksgiving, and next week we'll, we'll take a look at supplication. So four different ways that we respond to God. And right before I read today's passage in 1 Thessalonians, we have a little 20-second video clip that I want to show you first. So let's, let's show that, and hopefully it will lead in something I want to say. Lord. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat, amen. That's some prayer, isn't it? Lord. Oh man, you wanna just play the whole movie at that point. But that's from the film Shenandoah, 1965. Uh, clearly, you can listen to that and, and understand immediately. There, there is a difference between saying thanks and truly giving thanks, is there, is there not? Let's read, let's read now in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, the, the kind of giving of thanks or thanksgiving that God really calls us as his people. The Bible says there, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, help us to hear that and to not simply say thanks when we should, but to truly give thanks and to do so in all circumstances. We ask that in your name, Jesus, and everybody who agrees with that said, amen. Really briefly today, we just want to look at the kind of thanksgiving God really calls us to as his people. We wanna look at why it's so difficult for us to display the sort of thanksgiving that God calls us to and, and to do that consistently. And we also wanna look, if we have time, at just what God accomplishes through our thanksgiving, genuine thanksgiving. And then lastly, we wanna look at our greatest reason for ongoing thanksgiving and, and for hope, despite the fact that we don't always live up to what it is God has called us to live up to. So let's. Let's walk through that. And you can see here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16, clearly the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances, which as we said already is different than simply saying thanks. Now it's good to say thank you, right? Good manners are better than poor manners. But there's much more to genuine thanksgiving than simply the words we utter, all right? So think of it like an iceberg. You know, you know how the, the way an iceberg works is there's the tip of the iceberg that you can see above the surface and then we're told about 90% of that block of ice is actually still underneath the surface. We can't see it until we get underneath the water. Well, thanksgiving is like that. True thanksgiving, to which God calls his people, is more like that iceberg. There's the expression of thanks that we can see or hear, 
But more important even than that is what's really in the heart, what's undetectable, what we can't see immediately, but, but God knows what's there. That's what God's calling us to, is a kind of thanksgiving that isn't just outward, but truly coming from what, what some have called an attitude of gratitude. There's real gratitude in the heart. And that's where it begins. And then beyond that, we're to give genuine thanks, not just when things are good. Look again at verse six, uh, 18 there. It says what? Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, that, that you can already think of certain circumstances where that is difficult, can you not? Yeah, our, our, our middle daughter, Brianna, our, our uh, second daughter there, she on Monday this morning got her finger caught in a door. And so we had to rush off to Kid Med and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and it was, I, I confess to you, I was reading this passage at that time and it was hard to give thanks in that situation, right? I could, certainly couldn't thank God for all that stuff until I had better perspective. Like, what is this accomplishing in my daughter? What is this accomplishing in me? Then you can actually begin to thank him even for a particular circumstance. It's difficult. But at the very least, God calls us to give thanks in all circumstances, and now why is that so difficult for us? Why is it so hard for us to actually do what God says here? I'll give you two reasons today. One is our nature, our sinful nature, and the other, I'll say, are just incorrect beliefs, lies that we tend to believe. First, our nature. Look with me really quickly at Romans chapter seven. In Romans chapter seven, the Apostle Paul is speaking there about his own wrestling or his own struggle with his sinful nature. He says, there's just something about me that even when I want to do what's right, I got I to gotta try to get past this thing. Romans chapter 7, verse 18. Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh or in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody ever felt like that? Yeah, see, so here you are right here in the Bible. I, I, I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For what I do not, or rather, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So the Apostle Paul speaks here of sin, not as one particular bad thing that I've done, but he speaks about sin here as a power at work on the inside of him, something that actually causes him to go in that direction and to sin, to do the bad things that he finds himself doing despite his better desires. It's kind of like uh, if you think about uphill and downhill. Physically speaking, it's easier for us to go downhill than it is to go uphill. It takes more energy and effort to go uphill, easier to go downhill because of the way that what? Gravity works on us, yeah? Spiritually speaking, there's something like that. As people, even when we have the desire to do what is right, there's this thing that works on us and that tends to drag us down in the direction of what is not right. Our sinful nature that Paul is describing here tends to make it easier for us to go in the wrong direction. I'm reminded of two examples from my own life. So I've been married for almost 12 years now to my wife, Heather. And you're really gonna think less of me when I tell you this, but that's fine. So my wife is, is incredible, and I'm not just saying that because you're supposed to say that. I, I really believe this, 
And she serves so many people in a, in a week or, or in a given day. I mean, she runs a foundation that helps people that she founded about 15 years ago. She, she works outside of the home doing that. She comes back. She serves me and our three children tirelessly. And, and, and so one of the ways she serves us is, and she does it on Friday, but she, she'll wash all of our clothes. She does laundry on Friday. And then after doing all of this and spending the better part of Friday doing all, and it's a lot of clothes, but just doing all of that laundry, how many loads, Saturday will come around and, and I will walk into my closet and discover someone has not only cleaned my shirts but put my shirt back in the closet. And I kid you not, I will inwardly complain because my shirt is facing the wrong way. Do you know how insane that is? And, oh, don't let it be wrinkled because it was in the dryer too long. That's insane to overlook all that she has done. She didn't, didn't have to do it. And thankfully, she, she hasn't like, made a point to prove she doesn't have to do it. But she doesn't. <laughs> but to overlook all that she has done to serve me, to serve our kids, and to so quickly in my heart get to that place where I notice the one thing I don't like, that, that's insane. And yet I would be lying to you if I didn't just talk to you honestly about the fact that I find that in my heart. And it happens like this. I mean, it, it, I don't have to make myself do it. It's downhill for me. It's very easy to complain. If, if the Bible had said, complain in all circumstances, I'd be good to go. So I, I have learned now, by the grace of God, when I catch myself doing that, and it still happens, I've actually learned, all right, look, I could go one of two ways here. I could, I could go into woe is me, depression about how awful I am, or you know what? I'm gonna start to thank God. For, Lord, thank you so much that I have the privilege to be married to Heather. Thank you so much that I have a genuine, believing wife who serves you and serves others, serves me, serves our kids. Lord, thank you so much. This woman works tirelessly. I pray that you would bless her, the work of her hands. Let her feel real satisfaction and fulfillment in all of her work and all of her service. I, thank, I, mean, I, I, I go through this. Sometimes I'll say it out loud. My kids will think I'm crazy. But I'm really just having a moment of sanity, right? But this is, this is just one of the examples I've noticed in my own life about how easy it is for me to go in the wrong direction, how hard it is to truly be grateful. And she, she cooks us dinner most nights. Occasionally I'll cook and everybody will cross their fingers and, along with the prayer, but, but she usually cooks dinner for us. And when she does, there are times where I literally do like my version of that Shenandoah prayer. Lord, we want to thank you just the same for this meal, but man, there sure are a lot of onions in it. A lot of diced, chopped up onions that I have to work real hard to pick out with my fork. And I want to make sure everybody sees how difficult it is to get these onions out. Look, that's insane. Something's really wrong with me. This is, and I'm not just saying this. It's, it's, I'm, I'm up here like surprised at how true this is. I'm terrible. The, the idea of total depravity is not just some weird Christian doctrine. Man, I see this in myself. I'm not even beginning to talk about all of you and what we've discovered as you've shared with us from your life. 
You're messed up too. But, but our nature makes it so hard for us to go in the right direction and to truly be thankful people. And I wish I could say that our nature was the only problem we had, but we also believe the wrong things. These lies trip us up. And one in particular that, that is proving itself to be so dangerous, not only to us as individuals, but to us as a society, is this sense of entitlement. Nothing kills gratitude and genuine thanksgiving like a sense of entitlement. And that is, entitlement is big business today. I mean, we convince millions of people at a time that they are entitled to free this and free that and free whatever, and, and it's just not true. It's just not true. If you think you're entitled to something, you can't truly be grateful for it when someone gives it to you. You can't. So people are generous toward you and your heart is dead. And a lot of that is because we've trained people to think now and to believe that they're entitled to the fruit of someone else's labor, what someone else's work to produce. But that's not true. Right? Like, I, I'm a Christian, so if you tell me, hey, we've got this thing going on, we are, we are going to put resources together and we're going we're gonna to pool those resources and share them and, and people who are in need who can't afford to, to get something like, you know, access to quality health care, we're going to put together, we're going to help meet that need. Look, I'm a Christian. I'm on board. Man, you had me at hello. That's just part of my DNA as a believer. God is generous toward us. He wants us to be generous toward others. I'm like, we're, let, let's go. But the minute you start to tell me that someone else has an inherent right to what someone else has worked to produce, you begin to lose me. Because that's just not true. In, in fact, I think I'm particularly sensitive to that lie because I'm black and I live in America. Everyone's uncomfortable now. Just hear me out. There was a time in this country where people had convinced most other people that I wasn't fully human just because I have brown skin. I didn't matter as much as many of you. I wasn't worth as much as many of you. And because I was not fully human, I could be treated in whatever manner, and it was okay. So my inherent dignity as a, as a created being, as one made in God's image, was, was denied, and I was mistreated on the basis of it. But second only to that travesty was this. When you looked at slavery and what was really behind it, second only to that idea was the idea that there was some man out there who had first claim and an inherent right to the fruit of my labor. And that is the same truth or, or lie that we're pushing off as truth onto people today. That's why you lose me at that point. It's not because I'm not generous. You lose me because it's not true. And truth matters to me just as much as meeting people's needs. We believe the lie of entitlement and it's killing generosity. It's killing gratitude rather. And, and if you wanna know what that's doing to people's hearts, look at Romans chapter one, verse 21. The Bible says there, although people knew God in one sense, they neither glorified him or honored him as God, nor were they what? Thankful. They looked at God and were not thankful toward him and the result was what? Nor were they thankful and so their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. You see, as gratitude goes down, the darkness of our hearts goes up. 
When we inject the poison of a sense of entitlement into people, it increases the darkness in their hearts. They're less able to see the truth and more, more, most importantly, less able to see the truth about God. We're not entitled to anything. In fact, Romans 11 will tell us, for from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever, amen. Right before that, the Apostle Paul says, who has ever given to God? In fact, flip, flip to Romans chapter 11, you'll see it. Verse 35, the Apostle Paul says there, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? In other words, what is Paul trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us that God doesn't owe us anything. We're not entitled to the good things he allows to come into our lives. And you know this sense of entitlement is taking over your heart when you begin to believe that because you're having a hard time in life and things aren't going smoothly, that all of a sudden God's not doing his job right. And that you're validated when you complain about that and when you accuse him of wrongdoing. No, in, instead, what the Bible, it, it, I mean, it's, it's so hard, but what the Bible calls us to instead, it, again, is to give thanks in all circumstances, as difficult as they are. And some of you, when we talk about difficult circumstances, we're not making light of what you are going through now or what you have been through. They're, those things are awful, they're terrible, and they're horrific. Praise be to God, those things are on their way out. They will not exist in the world that Jesus is making now. But in the meantime, we trust God when he says that we, ha we have to learn how to give thanks even in those circumstances and reject this sense of entitlement because it kills gratitude. Another thing that we believe that's not true is we, we often believe the lie of self-sufficiency. We saw it in that prayer, right? Lord, we cleared the ground. You know, we plowed it, we sowed it, we harvested it, we cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. And, and again, look, I'm with you as a Christian if you say in all work there's a profit and you, you, do you see a man diligent in his business, Proverbs 22.9 or 29.22, I, I can't remember. But see a man diligent in his business, he will not stand before obscure men, he will stand before kings. There's, there is truth to this. If a, man sh if a man is unwilling to work, 2 Thessalonians 3.10, let him not eat. I'm, look, I'm okay with biblical ideas. I, I do believe you have the right to the fruit of your own labor. That, that is a reward. It, it, you are to enjoy it. That's wonderful. You have first claim to it after God. Yeah? But when you start to tell me that oh, I worked hard, I did this, I got all this, I've earned all this, this is mine, I, and now you, you start to tell yourself you don't need to be generous to people around you because of this, and that God can't ask this of you or require this from you, you well, I, I did all this, Lord, and, but, but we thank you all the same, then you've lost sight of truth. Job 34, verse 14 says, if, if God were to remove his spirit from us, we would all just drop the breath of life that he gives us. How do you think you got to the place where you could earn and amass all this stuff? Who gives you the strength to do this, the health? without which it would be impossible. And while we're talking about what you sowed and planted and harvested, we're, we're, what about the sun and the role that it plays? You, you realize you could work just as hard if God didn't keep that sun going, nothing would come back? That's just one star. 
out of the gazillions of stars he put in the sky. If the one star closest to you doesn't work right, which by the way is up to God at any given moment, if it doesn't work right, all that you're boasting about is gone. Yet you, you feel comfortable and validated in a, in a self-righteous position when you find yourself around other people who aren't as industrious, aren't as gifted, aren't as talented, aren't uh, as favored in the way of opportunity, and, and so you, you think it's okay to just ignore needs because of whatever fault you find in them. That's not a Christian position. So that's the flip side of this entitlement thing, right? It's, it's all different than what God calls us to be as people. They're both lies, whether, whether you're talking about that sense of entitlement or the sense of self-sufficiency, they're all lies. They keep us from being the thanks or the thankful and grateful people God has called us to be from expressing true thanksgiving. And what does God accomplish if we, if we go the other way, if we go uphill, if, if God's spirit sends us in the right direction, what does he accomplish through our thanksgiving? Look at Psalm chapter 69, verse 30. The psalmist says here in Psalm chapter 69, verse 30, that I will praise God with a song. I will magnify God with thanksgiving. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. When we truly thank God, it points to him as the great giver of everything good. We magnify him, we honor him in that sense. We, we point to the reality that he is the, the giver of every good thing. James chapter one told us that, that, that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming from the Father of lights. There's, there's no variation or shadow of change with him. He, he is the good and, and giver of every good and perfect gift. And so we acknowledge that in our thanksgiving. We say, Lord, thank you for this good thing you've allowed to be in my life, even though I haven't earned or deserved it. Thank you so much for allowing this good to pass through my life. We magnify him, and that can have an effect on other people. True gratitude, true thanksgiving can be contagious. Have you ever noticed this? You're sitting at the dinner table. Take another illustration from my house here. You're sitting at the dinner table, and we've thus far forgotten to thank God or my wife who cooked the meal. And then either I or one of my daughters Somebody remembers and says, mommy, thank you, or Heather, thank you. And just like that, it starts this effect where everybody else is reminded of how they ought to respond to the one who has served them and given them something good. Oh, yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, what's happened is the giver has been magnified, has been brought into view as the giver, the benefactor, the one who did something good for us. And when, when this word magnify shows up, John Piper talks about this, and I actually first heard it from Robert, and this was back before Redemption Hill started. This might have been 15 years ago or so. I, I, I feel like I, first, I mean, I think I never, I never really encountered, for me, what was life-changing preaching until I met a guy named John Cherry uh, from From the Heart Church Ministries here in Richmond and, and back in Maryland. And then something else happened when I met Robert Green. There was just the, the kind of preaching my heart was exposed to. Well, as you can see, I got stuck. I'm still here, right? 15 years later. But this, 
Robert was, was talking about this and used this example, and he said there, there, there are kind of two ways to think of this magnify. You can magnify something like a microscope, where you're, you're taking something that's really small and you're making it appear bigger than it actually is. But you can also magnify something like a telescope, where you're not making something small look bigger than it is, you're, you're making something that is in fact really, really big, you're making it appear as big as it truly is, and at the same time, you're, you're bringing it near enough to people's senses that they can finally see it. For whatever reason, it's just been too far away from them to detect. And when, when the psalmist says here, we magnify God with thanksgiving, there's a sense in which God begins to use the believer as a telescope to bring the reality of his goodness and his, his grace and his mercy and his kindness and his, his, his love toward us. It, God begins to use the thanksgiving even of the believer as a contagion, as something that can catch on and show people just how great God is. That God is magnified in that thanksgiving. And so the effect is that a heart near you which has been unable to see God for who he truly is might all of a sudden for the first time be able to see it. Be able to see him. And I'll move on to the last part of, of our greatest reason for ongoing thanksgiving. Our greatest reason for ongoing thanksgiving and hope is the fact that God did this one day and he sent the greatest telescope the world will ever see. He sent his son Jesus. Not only is he the greatest giver, he also gave the greatest gift. He gave us his very own son so that in Jesus we might be able to see the glory of God that was hidden from our hearts all along. We might be able to see him for who he truly is. We might be able to see ourselves for how small and needy we really are. And he sent Jesus into the world and he proved himself to be the great giver for God so loved the world that he, everybody, gave his only son so that whoever believes in him, in Jesus, would have eternal life. Not perish, but have eternal life. And now you and I, despite our many failures to be the people God calls us to be, we can have that ongoing reason for thanksgiving. The fact that in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. When he died on the cross, he, he took on the judgment that belongs to us. If you and I were entitled to anything, it was to that, to receiving the judgment we had deserved because of the lives that we had lived. But Jesus took that on to himself, and he dealt with that sin and with God so finally and perfectly that that sin was buried with him and taken away from us so that it could never be brought up against us again in God's courtroom. Jesus has fixed our biggest problem with God. And God raised him from the dead. Romans 4.25 says that in the same way that Jesus was delivered over to death for our transgressions or sins, God raised him. He was raised for our justification. Things have been made right between us and God if we belong to Jesus. And so God has sent him into this world like the greatest of all telescopes. We can see. We can see him and we can also have hope because if you're like me and you're saying, you know, there's a Saturday morning and a wrinkled shirt facing the wrong way waiting on me, I know it's gonna happen. Whatever your thing is that's going to remind you of the depths to which your sinful nature will sink you, whatever it is that reminds you of how hard it is for us to truly be grateful and thankful as we ought to be, you and I can have hope. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter five because of what it says at the end of that letter. This very same God who calls us to this standard of living, this very same God not only calls us 
to that standard. And not only calls us to himself, but verse 23 says, now may the God of peace himself, he sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you, huh? He who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The same God who is faithful to send his son Jesus into the world and to the cross to raise him from the dead and to do all of this in a way that eternally benefits people like you and me. That very same God who calls us to, to thanksgiving actually calls us as well here and it says that he is faithful not only to do all of that for us through Jesus but he's now faithful to sanctify us completely. Look at it again. May the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. He's not even outsourcing this thing. Why are people like us who are so bad, as bad as I portrayed and even worse, why do we have hope? Because God himself gets in there to sanctify us, to make us like his son. He is faithful, and here's our hope. He, everybody, may do it. What does verse 24 say? He will surely do it. Lord, help us to see you this morning as you truly are, the great giver of the greatest gift, Jesus Christ, on the cross for our sins, raised from the dead for our justification, pouring out his spirit that we might truly have new life. Lord, that we might have in us your spirit to take us uphill, <laughs> to take us uphill. Lord, and we trust that all along the way, it is not going to be our best efforts that get this done. But you, who called us, are faithful, and you will do it. Would you help us to magnify you in our thanksgiving? Let it be more than just a piece of ice floating on the surface, but may it be real. May it come from the heart, from an attitude of gratitude. May it be contagious to those around us, Lord, and and may you use our humble efforts and our prayers to continue to make yourself known for the great God that you are. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message by Raymond Goodlett given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.